Now, I do, I do stand before you very tired. And in a sense, that's a good thing. Because I don't rely on my flesh then to deliver the word. I rely on the Holy Spirit. And so even though I'm tired physically, I'm praying that God would, would speak through me this afternoon. The word that I believe he has for us as a congregation. And so I will boast in my weakness because I will boast in the strength of the Lord. <laughs> sure. Anyway. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to recap. Like, I just feel like, you know, a few weeks ago, Dave preached on an everlasting God and the Alpha and Omega and the bigness of God, which was incredible. And then Jules preached last week about obedience and the, the doctrine of obedience. And, and in many ways, it feels like that has been lost to the church, this thing of we're an obedient people who follow after a king, and we do what he tells us to do. And I want to commend both of them, because they preached with conviction, and I, I know I was moved by their preachers. So well done to Dave and Julian. I really was encouraged by those. I really was. And I also want to remind us that I feel like in this, in this season as a church, we're in a season of warfare and not welfare. And I'm going to keep saying those words because we so quickly drift back into this thing of, it's about me and my comfort and my comfort zones. And, and, and we heard in, in the first few sermons how we've been called to war. Ephesians tells us to put on the full armor of God and to get ready and to stand firm. And we heard a lot about that this weekend again of, as a church, we are, are we advancing the kingdom or we're advancing our own kingdom. And of course, we should always be advancing the kingdom of God. And so I want to switch it up a little bit today, and I've got a sermon called Two Households. Two Households. And I want to, firstly, let's define our terms. What is a household? So when I say household, it doesn't just mean the house. It means the, the people and the family who live in that house. So it's the whole unit. It's the, the household. It's this, the house and the people. But I also think it's, it's the tone of the house. Maybe it's the mannerisms, the quirks. Which houses here have specific quirks? And when you go to that person's house, you go, that's very specific to the fast home. <laughs> Put your shoes at the door. Yeah, like, like what? <laughs> And each household has an atmosphere, and maybe the way the parents instruct the children, the love between siblings, and, it, and each household has its own little micro-environment in that sense. And that environment can be both productive and destructive. In fact, you can get a house which is full of order and a house which is full of chaos. And you can get a house which is full of angst and despair and a house which is full of peace and order. Or perhaps when I say the word household, you think of the household you grew up in. And I was thinking back to, what is the household I grew up in like? And perhaps you grew up in a happy home, or perhaps many of you grew up in unhappy or even abusive homes. And actually, at the end of this, I'd love to pray for people who maybe did grow up in those environments, that God would bring restoration and reconciliation in those situations, that he would restore to you what the household should have looked like and what God, who is a good father, should have looked like in that household.
And as much as we're all now part of an earthly household, we also are part of a kingdom household, which is the household of God. So as believers, we belong to the household of God. And scripture tells us, I want to read a few scriptures that that talk about this thing of the household of God. Even those words should stir something inside of you going, well, maybe my household is this or this or this, but I belong to the household of God. Ephesians 2, 19 says this, Therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is fitted together. And we've spoken before about being living stones. And we are living stones being built together as a dwelling for God. Fitted together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together into a dwelling place for God in his spirit. We as a church are being built together as a dwelling place for God, or, or think of First Timothy three fifteen. If I delay, you may know, uh, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So Paul's being to Timothy, giving instruction how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. How often do we think of the church as a pillar and a buttress of truth? Or Galatians 6, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. And so I hope I've, I've labored that point. <laughs> and as believers, we are part of the household of God, and that should bring us great joy. Actually, it should give us great joy, great comfort, knowing that we belong to this. But what does that look like? What does it mean to be, what what does it look like, the household of God? And I I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, every household needs to have a head. Do we all affirm that? So as a church, we believe that the husband is the head of the home. But it's not always perfect, and we know there are single parents, and and sometimes people have to take the role and responsibility of, of leading that household. But But I think in God's design, the husband is the head of the home. So as the household of God, we have a head. And the thing about being the head of a household is that you can shift the balance in that household very quickly in the way that you want things to go. In fact, in an abusive household, discipline can be overemphasized by the head of that household, which means that that household will be an abusive household because the head has set that tone. Does that make sense? But we don't have that problem in the household of God. Because the head of our household is God. (laughs) Who is perfect in every way. He is without spot or blemish and he has no favorites and he is perfectly just. So we are in this house and we have a head who is perfect. Who who won't change from one day to the other and and, and pick out things and and maybe do things that are, are not in his character because he's unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the perfect Father. In fact, 
Psalm 103 describes him this way. Listen to how the Psalms describe God. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving devotion. He will not always accuse us nor harbor anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins or repaid us according to our iniquities. And so if God is the perfect head, which he is the perfect father, by implications, we are children in this household. Does that make sense? And scripture tells us that as well. 1 John 3, 1, and this should really cause us to get excited. See that the great love the father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is because they did not know him. The great love that God lavishes on us because we are children of God. Or John 1.12. But as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. So maybe we know this. We go, well, I know this, Dylan. I know God is the perfect father. We're in the household of God. I'm a child of God. That's awesome. I hope we don't get flippant about that or just take it for granted. It's an incredible privilege to be part of the household of God. And along with being in that household, we spoke earlier about how certain households have a tone or a character or distinctives. Well, as, as, as believers and children of God, we are given the Holy Spirit. And so the things and the characteristics and the, the, the Characteristics we have through the Holy Spirit are things like love in this household. It's a household of love. It's a household of joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Who wouldn't want to be a part of a household that displayed these characteristics? It's awesome. And along with that, along with, the, with God being the head, who is perfect in every way, and the fact that he calls us his children, which is incredible in itself, and the fact that we are given these, these amazing qualities and gifts of the Holy Spirit, we also get to fellowship with one another. We also get to have community with one another. And we also get to sit at the Lord's table. Think about when you take communion. We are sitting at the Lord's table, partaking of his body and his blood. That is the privilege of a believer. That is a privilege. I think sometimes we think, of, well, we, we're just going to break bread at church. So much more than that. So much more. And then uh, I was joking with Karen. But we have fellowship and we, we get to be part of each other's lives. And, and if you've been in Josh Jane for a minute, you know Acts 2.42. But it's a privilege that we get to be this community of God. It's awesome. It says this in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And a sense of awe came over everyone and the apostles performed many wonders and signs. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they shared with everyone who was in need. 
Now, maybe some people do that outside of the church. Maybe they do. But I've seen a lot of people do that inside of the church because they realize that actually what are possessions at the end of the day? Uh, we heard a story recently of the church in Holland. We've been there, we visited there, and it was a profound experience because I wrote a short post, or quite a long post, about how it felt like that church was the church in Acts. And they've adopted a mantra in that church where if you ask to borrow the car and you borrow it and you say thank you, they're saying, don't say thank you, it's not mine. Why are you saying thank you to me? It's not mine. Everything belongs to God. Everything. So whatever possession they've got is not mine. Who am I to hang on to? God's given it to me anyway. And so they've adopted this language in the church going, you can use whatever you want because none of it belongs to me anyway. Small benefits of being part of this incredible household of God. The chief being we have salvation in Christ. And so we should be excited to be a part of this household. And there is so much more I can say. I, I'm, I'm cutting this short. I really am. I, I could say a lot more about being part of the household of God. Please don't think that that's it. But I don't want to preach for too long. But I started this sermon saying I want to talk about two households. And so as believers, we have this incredible privilege of being part of God's household. But I believe in Scripture, and the Scripture doesn't call it this, but there's another household. Not the household of God. It's the household of the devil. And if we think about what we just heard about the, the head of the household of God, who is perfect and long-suffering and kind and patient and full of love and mercy and grace, look at what it says about the household that is headed by the devil. Jesus says this to the Pharisees, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. And this is what it says about him. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. He, when he lies, this is incredible, when he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. And so that should cause something inside of us to go, thank you, Jesus, that you are my head. And I don't have to, I'm not under the, the authority of this liar, this deceiver whose native language is lies. Imagine being in a household where the head of that house just lies to you all the time and deceives you. And if he is the head, then there are children in this household, just as we are children of the household of God. 1 John 3.10 says this, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, and nor is the one who does not love his brother. By implication, if you are not of God... You're of the devil. That's strong language. 1 John 3, 8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. (laughs) 
thick. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And if children of the devil, and we spoke before about Galatians and the incredible fruits of the Spirit, the benefits that we have as believers, then the fruits of the flesh of being outside of, of God are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And Scripture says of those people, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so we need to, I suppose, obviously we ask the question, why would anyone want to be a part of this household? It makes no sense. Really, we've looked at this incredible household of God where there's community and love and grace, and then we've looked at this, the enemy who deceives people and he lies to them. And we go, why would people want to be part of of this household. Surely it is hell on earth. It feels like that to me. And scripture gives us two reasons. The first is quite shocking. If I haven't shocked you enough already, let me shock you some more. <laughs> let me get some water first. I hope this is making sense. Oh, it's already up. No, it's not. Okay. John 3, 19 says this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than their light because their works were evil. People loved the darkness more than the light. And so we think, well, why would anyone want to be in this situation under a a head that lies to them, who does nothing but deceive them? And the answer is because they want to be in their sin. And I I had a situation recently. I invited someone to church, and they came, and it was awesome. And they kind of spoke to them, and they're like, yes, we're growing in God. It's incredible. We feel like the the whole house. He said these words. It feels like my household has been changed by God. And then one day, communication stopped. I was like, what is going on, man? Like something's, they were growing in God. What is going on? And I was watering my garden of all things. And this scripture came to mind. They love the darkness more than the light. They were sin, they were unwilling to give up. And so they said, this far and no further. But secondly, 2 Corinthians 4.4 says this. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so you get some people who want to be in their sin, and you get others who are blinded. Oh, everyone's blinded, but they are blinded or deceived by the God of this world. And so they can't see the light. They, they are veiled. There's a veil over their face. They can't see it. And so... 
the temptation is to go, well, I'm very glad I'm in the household of God. Thank you, Jesus. I'm, not a ch- I'm a child of light and not of darkness. And that is one response. But I think our response should be, how do we rescue these people from darkness and bring them into light? How do we, as, as children of God in the household of God, look at people in another household who are going to hell, basically, and go, how do I save them? How do I rescue them? So if there are two households next to each other, my question to you is, are you being a good neighbor? (laughs) If there's a household of light and a household of darkness, it means that you're neighbors in some sense. Are you being a good neighbor? Are you shouting with everything you've got at the person stuck in darkness going, get out! And (laughs) Karen will like this story. When you're, in, when you're in school in South Africa, it might not be the same in Canada, I don't know, but we have school houses, and uh, in junior school, it's very big, you're in a house, so you get allocated a house when you're in there, and then you have a sports day, and all the houses are like competing against each other, and I went to a junior school called Golden Grove, and we, I was in a house called The Mist. We weren't the best house, like we weren't actually that cool, like we were kind of arty, Milner was like the jocks, so they won everything. But then there was a house called Hamilton, which really sucked. And you didn't, <laughs> and you didn't want to be, were you in Hamilton? <laughs> but Hamilton really sucked. I think they actually did away with Hamilton after a while. They're like, this is going nowhere. Like, this house is terrible. <laughs> but that was after Karen left. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so they were blue and we were yellow. Anyway, that's so funny. But we go to sports day and you were so amped to be part of this house, this household, that you would shout about it. And it's so insignificant actually because you're at a sports day and people are running and it's about points and it doesn't really matter, but you would get so worked up about shouting for your house because you wanted them to win and the cheerleaders would come and go like, we are the best, and no one can be prouder. And if we cannot shout, we shout a little louder. And it ends up just going into absolute pandemonium where you can't shout any louder, and literally you've lost your voice by the end of the time, and it's just it's chaos. But I thought of this picture and going, we are part of the household of God. Do we shout about the household of God in the world that needs to hear it the most? Or do we just kind of mumble and go, I'm part of the household of God, it's pretty cool, you should come maybe. Seriously. I'm being dead serious now, though. Do we shout about and boast about the household? I've been saved. Are we bold in that? I'm part of the household of God. You need to know about this thing. I'm worried about you. I'm very worried about you. Or maybe, and this is, maybe this is the case. Maybe we do this. Maybe we say, it's not that bad. And God is actually not that good. Maybe we justify our silence by going, it's not actually that bad where they are. And actually God is good, but I don't know if I need to tell him about the good, them about the goodness of God that much, because I'm not convinced how good he actually is. Because you, if you are convinced 
of the goodness of God, if you are convinced that he saved you, as we heard these testimonies, as we sang that song, if you are convinced that without him, you have nothing. You have nothing. You will be going to hell without him. Seriously, if you are convinced that that is the truth, you have to tell people about it. You have to shout about it. Because the other side of that thing is, it really is that bad, and he really is that good. In fact, he's far better than we can ever, ever imagine. Far better than he can ever, we can ever imagine. Colossians 1.13 says this, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into his kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. And so we have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into his kingdom of light. And my concern is that we, we, we can get to this thing of we've been brought into the kingdom and now I'm here. Praise God. <laughs> and that is praise God. But the problem is there's a difference between a close family and a closed family. You see, we can be a close family who love one another so well that it's through the exclusion of anyone else. And so unwittingly, we close the doors around ourselves going, We've, we love one another so well that we're actually not going to let anyone else in. And we stop looking outside of ourselves for people outside in another kingdom going, we need to find those people and bring them into the kingdom of light. Please let us be a close family. Let us love one another deeply. But let us never be a closed family where we're not inviting people into the household of God at every single opportunity. And so my question to believers and to those who are part of this church is, are we inviting people into the household of God? Are we telling them, are we boasting and shouting about the household of God? Are we looking for people all the time who we can tell about Jesus? Who are stuck in darkness and need to, to know the truth. I, I woke up this week and I was going, I don't know when last I spoke, I actually put myself out there to try and speak to someone. And I, I'm not very good publicly with speaking to people and, and just having conversations. Julian and a number of people are very good at that, where they just walk up to anyone. And so I said, Jesus, help me to be better at this. Give me opportunities to do this. Really, it was a simple prayer. Give me opportunities to speak to people. And from Monday, Tuesday, every day, there was opportunities to speak to people. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Where do you go? What do you do? The guy at the Christian bookshop. Did you find any books? No. Like just starting co random conversations. Because I'm so excited, in awe, overwhelmed by his mercy and grace. Just completely 
humble that he would even save me. Seriously. And that's his attitude to everyone. He came to save the whole world. And so this week I would ask believers to ask God for opportunities to speak to people and to invite them into the household of God. Really. Maybe ask yourself, when last did I speak to someone about God? Or maybe you need to sit down this week in your quiet time and go, Jesus, do I, am I really understanding what you've done for me? Or maybe you've lost sight of what he's done for you. That can happen as well. Maybe we just get into the routine of being a believer and it's great and it is great, but actually we've lost sight of, of what he's actually done for us or how he saved us. And I will ask you to do that so that wells up inside of you so you remember the goodness of God and go, God, help me to share the goodness of God with other people this week. And then I would ask another question, and I, I, I know most of you, but I don't know everyone. I would ask a question to this congregation. Which household do you belong to? Do you belong to the household of the father of lies? Or do you belong to the household of the father of life? Because you can't belong to both. And if you belong to one, you will spend eternity away from Christ. And if you belong to the other, you will spend eternity with Christ. And there's a doctrine which the church and many churches are trying to erase in this current day. It's the doctrine, <laughs> it's crazy that it's happening. It's the doctrine of hell. Can you believe that churches do not want to believe in hell anymore? Let's get rid of that doctrine because it's too offensive to people and we don't want to drive people away. But my friends, there is a place called hell which if you belong to the household of the devil, you will go to. And I say that with fear and trembling, not with delight. But, but the Bible says I must plead with you. I need to contend with you. Do not stay in that household. When there's a household with a good father who longs to embrace you and to love you and to forgive you of your sins and say, come into my house. Have peace. Have joy. Remove yourself from the household of the lies and the enemy and death and destruction. Do you see the stark contrast? And then do you see that it's our responsibility to tell people about it? <laughs> and so I would ask you today to seriously think about that. Do I belong to the household of God or do I belong to the household of the devil? And my friend, if you belong to the household of the devil, run for your life to the household of God. Find life and forgiveness, and mercy, and grace. Because there's so much more for you in this life than what the enemy thinks is good for you, because it's not. He will destroy you. His whole aim is to destroy you, and you think it's good, and you think sin is good, and you think it's nice, and I like it, but it will lead to destruction. And I know I'm preaching hard, but I have to. <laughs> I don't want to leave here thinking I didn't give everyone an opportunity to, to flee and come to Christ. And so I would ask if you, if you are sitting here, let's, let's just bow our heads. If you are sitting here this afternoon and you're going, I don't think I belong to the household of God. 
And, I'm, and something inside of me, there's a fear inside of me that I'm part of a household I don't want to be part of, and I need to be saved. I need the, the work of Christ on the cross to, to wipe away my sins. I need the blood of Christ to, to wipe away my sins, and I need to walk in forgiveness. And I want to come into the household of God. And the only thing we need to do is repent of our sin, to ask God to forgive us of our sin. And where we've offended a holy God, we say, God, forgive me. And he promises us that he will. And he forgives us. And when he, he forgives us, we come into that household. And we are called children of God. No longer children of the devil. 